get in my lifetime, but he knows a lot about, well, everything, because he covers everything. So today we're going to get into a couple different topics with Zach, and I'm, I'm very, very excited. Uh, Zach probably got in touch with Ebo, our friend at The Zone in Madison today, uh, to ask for some dirt, what, what he can make fun of me for. So I'm sure we'll have that to look forward to. Zach Heilprin will join us coming up at 530. It's the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills, and I hope you're enjoying your week so far. I love daytime baseball. I love it when the Brewers play on Wednesday afternoon, even when they lose. I had a good time. I think I'm playing favorites with the Brewers. Our guest, Perry Goldstein, Cheesehead TV, pointed this out to me a couple weeks ago. She's like, you are so much nicer to the Brewers than you are to the Packers or to the Bucks." And at the time, I'm like, eh, leave me alone. That's not true. And the more I think about it, you know what? It actually is kind of true. The Brewers lost today, and I enjoyed the game. And I'm going to look for positives. I enjoyed, enjoyed my afternoon. I've done nothing but just be mad about the Packers for months. Well, losing four NFC Championship games in seven years, yeah, that'll make me mad. Say what you want about the Brewers. The Brewers have not lost four NLCSs in seven years. They've lost two in the last decade. They've gotten close, just not as frequently as the Packers. I do think I have a soft spot in my heart for the Brewers. I did enjoy afternoon baseball today. I always do. It's one of my favorite things. The Brewers lost six to two. A lot to unpack between starting pitching and officiating an offense or lack thereof. So I want to start with the Brewers, I think as we normally do this time of year. Talk a little bit about the Brewer game, and then we move on to, to bigger and better topics and, and different things. I want to talk about the Brewers for about the next 20 minutes, and you're welcome to join. 608-796-2558, the talk and text line. Twitter, at Wisco Grant as well. Bucks coming up at 435, and then right before 5 o'clock, I want to talk about a trade that happened in the NFL today. Bridgie Tedwater, the former Viking turned Carolina, well, turned New Orleans Saint, turned Carolina Panther. Teddy Bridgewater is in Denver now. He has become a bridge quarterback in every sense of the word. Is his last name, and I mean, he's been a bridge quarterback the last three places he's been. Bridging to the health of Drew Brees in New Orleans, bridging to whoever they planned on drafting in Carolina. I don't know. They didn't wait, and now he will bridge, assumedly, to someone in Denver. And don't forget about his time in New York, too. Sam Darnold has now chased Teddy Bridgewater out of two, two teams. The Jets, who I almost forget Teddy Bridgewater ever even played there. Sam Darnold chased him out of there, and now has chased him out of Carolina. So I want to talk about that trade right before 5 o'clock. Some good NFL topics a day before the draft between trades and drafts. So tonight's going to be a fun football show. Two Brewers games to talk about. We can talk a, a little bit about them both. I don't want to gloss over last night's game. This is a really good game. Last night's game was awesome. So I, I don't just want to skip over it to talk about the latest and greatest game, which wrapped up about a half hour ago. Really quickly on last night's game. Just an excellent baseball game in every sense. You might be thinking, Grant, what the hell does that even mean? It, it, was, just a, it was just a great game. I, I'm in the process of moving out of my apartment right now. So when I get home after work, I you know pack, pack things up. I've been boxing over the last week, you know, an hour or so every night. Just put a little work in so it's not painful all at once when the time comes that I got to be out. And last night I'm packing up boxes and I'm rolling up a big rug and I'm, I'm listening to the Brewer game in my room. And it was such a good game and I was having so much fun that I kept yelling around the corner of the hallway to my roommate, who's also in the process of moving out. Roommate's a Cubs fan. He doesn't care. Keep yelling. Bill, his name's Billy. Billy! B Billy! This is, a, this is an awesome game, man. What a, just a great game. He's like, all right, good. Go off back there. Good for you. It was just an awesome game. It's not like the game went to extras. 
It wasn't a walk-off. It wasn't a no-hitter, anything like that. It was just a bitchin' game. This is how the scoring went. Eight different unique scores. Started 1-0 Miami, then 2-1 Milwaukee, then 2-2, then 3-2 Milwaukee, then 3-3, then 4-3 Milwaukee, then 5-3 Milwaukee, then 5-4 Milwaukee, and that was the final score. The Brewers ended up winning by one run. Really good back and forth. I think that's what made it a great game. Not the threat of a no-hitter, not the presence of a walk-off or or the game going to extra innings. It it was just a good back-and-forth competitive game where neither team really laid down. Sometimes one game will be decided by one big inning. Let's say the Brewers win the game 5-2, and they score all five of those runs in one inning. That's a great win. I'll take it, but it doesn't exactly keep me engaged for all nine innings, right? The scoring was dispersed last night throughout the entire game, very much back-and-forth and a lot of different unique scores from the beginning to the end. And that was fun. Impressive for Milwaukee pitching and for Milwaukee hitting and for Miami hitting. Neither team really counting themselves out, always trying to make contact and and play back into this game. Hauser, think of the roller coaster he was on last night. Adrian Hauser, who won the game, five and two-thirds, three earned runs, seven strikeouts, only one walk, which was a huge component of his success. Think of the roller coaster that Adrian Hauser went on last night. He hit a home run and over five and two-thirds inning pitched saw eight unique scores. So the situation and the excitement level and the emotional investment level around Hauser kept changing. Last night's game was not a constant. It was constantly fluctuating, right? And Hauser had to navigate through this game, five and two-thirds innings, and pitch consistently without getting too rattled or too excited or too down. That's impressive. And I don't know how you quantify that in a stat. It's not whip or ERA or strikeouts. There's no stat that measures a pitcher's ability to ride the roller coaster. But you could see it with Adrian Hauser last night. Hauser might not have the best stuff. He doesn't have the stuff of Burns or Woody. He doesn't have the stuff of Peralta either. But he's polished and he's comfortable. He was last night, and that's something that Peralta has struggled with. I mean, Corbin Burns, even, earlier this week, got a little bit rattled, started to press a little bit in the sixth inning. It's an important skill to stay level-headed. And I had this feeling a few different times last night where something crazy would happen, And then my my next thought would be, all right, and after all that, Adrian Hauser coming back out. Coming back out for the fourth. Coming back out for the fifth. He just constantly had to come back out and deal with a new set of circumstances. Deal with a new level of energy. Something was changing, and yet Hauser remained. Offensively, it was a really impressive night for Tyrone Taylor and Luis Urias. Luis Urias is going to be a really good shortstop. And I had to tweet at David Gasper, reviewing the brew, who was on the show yesterday. Show some respect to David Gasper, who has been preaching Corbin Burns' Cy Young for two years. He's been pre- he's been preaching Luis Urias for a year, and I have pushed back on it in every single turn. And he's like, nah, you wait and see. Just wait and see. And we have waited, and now we're beginning to see. Luis Urias was pretty good, great defensively today. Down, down day for the entire offense. We'll talk about that next. Last night, offensively, a really impressive night for Tyrone Taylor, who's been hitting the absolute hell out of the ball. And Luis Urias. Shout out to David Gasper. Good game for Craig Council in the bullpen, too. Last night, the bullpen went Brent Suter, one inning. He did give up a run, but they had a couple runs cushion. J.P. Fireisen faced one batter, struck him out. Devin Williams zipped his way through the eighth inning. Josh Hader zipped his way through the ninth, right? I thought it was really, really clever of Council to get Fireisen in there and have him face a batter, but not overwork him. Fireisen has been in... A ball game 13 times now, 13 appearances in 23 games. That's by far the most on the Brewers. 
And I think it was smart for Craig Council in a close game to use one of his best relievers in J.P. Fireisen, but not overuse him. Council's pretty cognizant of that. And opportunity to get Devin Williams more. He is getting better, huh? Watch Devin Williams last night. That's what I'm talking about. We we should constantly take uh, take inventory of the Brewers' bullpen. It's like, okay, Hater's the closer. How do, how do relievers behind him stack up? What's the hierarchy? Hater's your closer. I think your second best reliever right now is probably J.P. Fireisen, but Devin Williams is right there. And every time he pitches, he gets a little bit better, a little bit more dialed in. I still like Brad Boxberger, who pitched today. But I think it's Hater, Fireisen, Williams might be about to pass Fireisen, although those two guys are both excellent. I don't know what difference it makes. Then you still have Boxberger. Rasmussen had a good outing on Monday in some, I would say, developmental innings in game that got out of hand, Corbin Burns on Monday. The bullpen's coming together. Craig Council's slowly but surely figuring out how to use which guy and when to pitch who. It's a season-long process. And the smartest managers, even when their bullpen makes a mistake, yeah, that's a mental note. That's a learning experience. And Craig Council treats his bullpen throughout the regular season like a learning experience. Let's take a break, talk about today's game. Hear from Craig Council just a little bit, and Adrian Hauser said the funniest thing last night, so I want to share that with you as well. More Brewers talk, and then we'll get into football. We'll get into the Bucks. Zach Heilprin will join us later on in the show as well. More of the Wisco Sports Show after this. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. says it we suck we're not hitters we're pitchers I don't I don't really know the background behind that way of thinking from bench coach Pat Murphy the ejected Pat Murphy today got into it with the first base umpire and it was it was deserved I just thought that was funny we suck we're pitchers not hitters maybe it's that uh that reverse psychology tough love from Pat Murphy he looks like a tough love guy let's be real I would not mess with that man he seems like he could mess up your day Adrian Hauser talking about his home run last night. First base umpire today who threw out Pat Murphy. I thought Council was going to get tossed. Why can I not find his name? I shouldn't know his name, but now I want to... Marty what? Marty, Marty, Marty Foster. I'm going to call him Marlon Foster just to be a jerk. Marlon Foster. What a... God, what a terrible game he umped today. He was just... He was just finding things. Normally, I'm not tilted by a first base umpire, but today's game... Uh, it, it was tilting. Brewers lost, what, 6-2 to two the final score? Tom Hodricourt, who I've, I've always followed, I've always liked. He's become, I love the turn that he has taken on Twitter. He's been even in more enjoyable follow this year than in years past. He pointed out this factoid after the game. Brewers, when they lost today, falling to 5-7 and seven at home, and in six of those seven losses, they have scored zero, one, or two runs. So today's loss certainly fits the mold of a Brewer's loss in 2021. It's the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. A lot going on. Brewer's ejections, pitchers hitting home runs, wins, losses. Uh, Jesus Aguilar is back and hitting bombs. Pat Murphy's getting thrown out. Let's see what else. The Bucks won last night, but it still upset me. And Zach Heilprin will join us in an hour. Yeah, did I, did I miss anything? 608-796-2558. The only thing that's missing is you there. That's what I meant to say. That's the talk and text line, and you're welcome to hit me up. Twitter, at Wisco Grant. 
as well. Going to get into the Bucks here in about 10 or 15 minutes. I do want to talk about today's game. We talked about last night. I want to talk about today's Brewers game. It was very weird. I'm not really sure what our standards or expectations were supposed to be for that game. Do you know what I mean? Like, Zach Godley started, who I, I don't know who that was. I, I don't love or hate him. I, I don't know what to make of him. I figured Brent Suter would start. Brent Suter played last night. So Zach Godley got the start. There's kind of a mixed bag. This final line for Zach Godley, I don't... It's it's a wild line. Let me get it up here in front of me. Zach Godley today, three innings pitched, one hit, but three earned runs, five strikeouts, and a bunch of walks. That's ultimately what got him. What a weird game. I didn't know what to expect. It's not like the lineup was stripped down like it was on Monday. They had Wong, Shaw, Narvaez, Vogelback. It was just a weird game, and I, I didn't really know what to expect. And I think that uncertainty really shaped the way that this game played out. Brewers end up losing 6-2. to two. Let's go to the phones. Hello, welcome to the Wisco Sports Show. I'm sorry I don't have your name. Who am I talking to? This is Jeff. How are you doing? Jeff, it's good to hear from you. I'm sorry I don't have your name saved in here. That's my bad. That's okay. Um, I, I will just tell you this. The Brewers remind me... Um, what they've done for years it seems like they play up or down to their competition and it's just frustrating to to, you know they look really good and then they play a game like this today so they lose two of three to the pirates they sweep the padres and then they come back and they lose a couple after after winning against the cubs i should say and then they lose to the marlins tom hodricourt reported this today it's fascinating and i think it gets to what you're talking about in six of the Brewers' seven home losses, they've scored zero, one, or two runs. So when they lose, they lose. I think that's what you're saying as well, Jeff. I agree. It is frustrating. Yeah, but remember, like I said, just they're, look at where they are in the standings and not playing that well. I think they're, I still think they're in a good spot. They just, you know, they've got to just pick it up against these poor teams and put them away. I I, I just can't figure them out when I, I listened. I didn't get to watch, but I listened to quite a bit of it today. And it, mm-hmm. it was a hard listen, to be quite honest. Well, and it's early on in the season, so the Marlins are 10-13. and 13. I think the Marlins are a, a, they're a snappy team. Like, they're a tough team. They're scrappy. Uh, in 10 and 13, right. the Brewers are 14 and 19. It's early, so the, mass, the, the records really can only tell us so much. I, I agree with you. I think as they get healthy, the consistency will come especially offensively. Are your Bears going to trade up and take a quarterback tomorrow? Jeff, do you have a gut feeling on that before I let you go? I'm terrified for tomorrow night. One of the lucky (laughs) things is I get the golf, and I'll get back to my car, and I'll probably say words that I should have kept for the golf course. I don't know. I've heard everything I've heard. I've heard Bridgewater, believe it or not. I've heard trading down and getting more picks. I've heard... You know, I, I really want, if it was my choice, I'd go offensive line, wide receiver, or um, Newsom from Newsom from Northwestern. Mm-hmm. Everything I read about him sounds like a blue chipper. But I, the Bears never do what you think they're going to do. Never. <laughs> That's funny. You said I can't, I'm dreading tomorrow night. What did you say? I'm, I'm anxious for tomorrow night. I'm dreading it. That's the right well, attitude yeah, to have. I, yeah, and my son and I were texting back and forth a couple of years ago, and I felt like we were watching the movie Major League because I'm like, who are these guys when they drafted Adam <laughs> Shaheen? I had never heard of him. I like Adam Shaheen. And yeah, he did well. As soon as they got rid of him, he did well. They, remember, this is the team that got rid of Greg Olson because he couldn't block. So, yeah, that's right. Um, and he's, I, if he's not a Hall of Famer, I'll eat my hand. I'm sure he is. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. Maybe he 
the, the Bears do all right in like the third round on. It's the first two rounds that are just dicey, I guess, is a good word I could use here. Yeah. But well, I'm excited, but I'm scared. <laughs> I mean, I think every fan base is uncertain. Jeff, thanks for the call. Good luck tomorrow night. Good luck to your Bears. Well, thank you. You too. Yeah, have a good one. <laughs> the team that let go Greg Olson because he, he couldn't block. And then the Packers bring in Jimmy Graham, who can't block, and then they're dead set on making him an inline blocking tight end. I think we share some frustrations, Jeff. Everyone should be concerned and excited about the draft. It's one big crapshoot. No one should feel amazing. No one should feel awful. We should all have a feeling of uncertainty. But Jeff's original point, the Brewers being inconsistent and playing down to their competition, I playing down to your competition in baseball is a problem to an extent. Right? Like, I, I always reference Radio Joe. I remember a couple summers ago, this has always stuck with me, when the Brewers had a long series against the Pirates, and they were going into a weekend four-game set against Pittsburgh. And I remember Radio Joe just pounding the desk. You got to win at least three or four. You got to sweep the... I, the Pirates stink. You got to get in there and take care of business. Ideally, yes. Right? The superior team always beats the inferior team. But if the Brewers take three or four from the Dodgers this weekend, are we going to turn around and complain, well, they, they could only manage one game against the lowly Marlins? I think the Marlins are a lot better than, than a lot of people think right now. I think our... Our impression of the Marlins will change over the course of the season because I just think they're a smart team. They're a scrappy team. They're scrappy. It's a good word. They're going to scratch out hits, and they're going to make you work, and they're not going to strike out. Jesus Aguilar personified across a whole team. right? That's what I think of the Marlins. So taking care of business against inferior teams, yeah, but you're occasionally going to lose a series to a team that's not as good as you. A lot of, And this series is really fluky. right? Game one, you just, nobody's healthy. Your offense isn't on the field. You can't manage a run. Yesterday, really impressive. Offense was good. Scored throughout the game, not just in one big inning. Adrian Hauser was great. Bullpen was great. And then today, what was his name? Zach Godley was actually doing okay, if not for the walks. And then there's an umpiring fiasco. And then he has an injury off of a bunt. And you got to bring Yardley in. And Yardley almost escaped in a tie ball game. But with two outs, after a double play should have been turned and wasn't, well, now the three-run home run comes. So that, that game got out of hand quickly. At one point in that game, Brian Anderson, because I was watching the Bally Sports Wisconsin broadcast, Brian Anderson said, this game feels like it's teetering on disaster. And when he said that, it was in the fourth inning and it was a tie ball game. But he was right. Right? The Brewers were kind of skating by by the skin of their teeth for the first couple of innings, just managing to, to hang in there. Fluky game today, fluky game on Monday. Doesn't mean they don't count. They all count the same but another reason not to overreact too much to this or that one game or another. Let's take a break, get into the Bucks a little bit, but we'll talk about the Brewers before the show is done again. So don't worry, we'll have another chance. We'll also talk about the Teddy Bridgewater trade. That's coming up in about 20 minutes. Zach Heilprin will join us an hour from now. A lot more of the Wisco Sports Show to come. Don't go anywhere. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Rolling on. My name is Grant Bills. Appreciate you hanging out, tuning in. We just did a half hour of Brewers, and my oh my, did it fly by. How much fun was that? Even though the Brewers lost today, I do think I'm less critical of the Brewers than our other teams. Although, is that not fair? Packers have lost four NFC Championship games in seven years. At some point, they like, just figure it out. 
I'm, I'm not carrying water for the Packers anymore. They can handle their business. Break the wall down already. And with the Bucks, it's just, I don't know. It's just hard to be patient with Coach Budenholzer. It's just frustrating. It is. I can be patient with Counts. I can be patient with the Brewers. They're small-town darlings. Or Milwaukee Brewers. But I do think I'm probably a little bit nicer to the Brewers than our other teams. Speaking of being nice, uh, 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 a tandem that is nothing but genuine and friendly. That's me and Zach Heilprin. We will converse coming up in an hour. He'll join us at 5.30. To talk Badgers, kind of. I mostly want to talk draft and Packers. But I've found a way because I'm just a great interviewer. I'm going to find a way to weave a couple of Badgers things into our conversation. So we'll talk with Zach. I look forward to that coming up in an hour. And yes, Zach and I are both very sarcastic, but a great friend of the show, a great friend in real life, a mentor, if you will, somebody I look up to. Zach, I love you. He'll he'll, he'll join us in an hour. Let's talk about the Bucs because we're all in a great mood, so we might as well wrap that up. We don't want that to continue. The Bucs won last night. Which is, which is great. Awesome. They won by seven. They beat the Hornets, who are actually a pretty good team. Charlotte's pretty good. The Charlotte Hornets might be very similar to the Miami Marlins in that if you are a casual, a fan that doesn't watch night in and night out, might not know much about the Hornets. You might just say, oh, Charlotte, they've always been bad. Oh, the Miami Marlins, they've always been bad. No, they're kind of scrappy. They're a, they're a peppy team. They'll sneak up on you. And Charlotte's been one of those sneaky teams. They're not on national TV a lot, but they're a really good league pass watch. Or they... They were a lot better of a watch before LaMelo Ball got hurt, but they're still fun. So it's not to say that this win doesn't matter for anything, but it is the Charlotte Hornets who are a game under 500. The Bucks win by seven last night. I said on yesterday's show that this game was going to make me mad, win or lose. I actually went back and found the audience. Bucks and Brewers tonight. The Bucks play the Charlotte Hornets. I can't wait to get irrationally mad at that game. No matter if the Bucks win or lose, I know it's going to make me upset. So I look forward to that. I wish I wouldn't have said irrationally because that means that I have no normal reason, no excuse to get mad. I can get mad about my teams whenever I want. It doesn't have to be rational. Fandom is anything but rational. So I wish I would have not pulled that punch. So on yesterday's show, this game's going to piss me off, win or lose. I just know. And last night on Twitter, if I wasn't in agreement with Bucks Twitter and some of our friends. I saw Bart Winkler, good friend of the show, who tweeted, Bucks basketball, where even the wins feel like losses. And I saw that. I said, damn it, Bart, you did it again. I knew that game was going to make me mad, win or lose. That's why I, I didn't watch all of it live. I went back and saw some later. I think a lot of you probably did the same thing I watched. Opted to watch the Brewers because it was a close, interesting game. Checked in on the Bucks here and there. I actually rewatched a lot of it this morning. Um, but a little bit of a bummer, as I said many times to the point where it's probably obnoxious. We're moving out of our apartment, and this morning I looked for the remote control for a couple of minutes before realizing the TV isn't the – the TV's gone. The TV, there's no TV in our living room right now, but I spent how many minutes looking for the remote because I was like, well, I'll open up the NBA app on our smart TV, 21st century in our apartment. I'll watch the rewatch the condensed version of the Bucks game. Look for the remote for like a couple of minutes before realizing I'm an idiot. There's not even a TV in here. That's why the remote is lost. Oh, okay. But I rewatched, so I pulled up my laptop, watched some of it on there. And I think a lot of you probably did the same way. Very, very quickly, just to, to summarize, if you missed last night's game, I think there's two things that are worth mentioning. Number one, for you X's and O's basketball purists, Bucks showed a little bit of versatility on defense in the fourth quarter. Eric Name wrote a really good piece on it at The Athletic. You can check it out if you are a subscriber. If you don't subscribe, you should, because Eric Name is awesome. 
Um, Starters in the fourth quarter normally re-enter the game with about eight minutes to play, and they normally stay in. And they might, like, Chris Middleton gets a minute and 20 seconds on the bench individually, but typically your starters wholesale enter the game with about eight minutes to play. From the four-minute mark to the two-minute mark, Brooke Lopez went to the bench, which is interesting because Brooke Lopez had a really good game last night, especially offensively. He had one of his better offensive nights that he's had recently, and yet he sat out two minutes in crunch time of what turned out to be a really close game. Brooke Lopez had 22 points last night, second to only Giannis, who had 29. Over-under, I think, was 27.5, so if you're a Giannis over, you were happy last night, which wasn't that surprising, I suppose, coming back after that. Hawks lost the other night. There was motivation to to play pretty well. Brooke Lopez exited, went to the bench for those two minutes. And they went with P.J. Tucker, and they were switching, and they were swapping on defense. Charlotte has a lot of tweener-type players, like Miles Bridges, um, Devontae Graham, players that aren't maybe your typical guard, aren't your typical forward, but can kind of do a little bit of both. So the Bucs opt for versatility on defense, and they take away their big lumbering center. Worked pretty well. Now they ended up putting Brooke back in for offensive purposes to get a couple of buckets because the game got close. And that's, I think, what frustrated a lot of people. It's what frustrated Bucks fans. I think that's maybe what left a bad taste in our mouth last night, for right or for wrong. Once again, sports fandom isn't you know rational. But this game had the same concerning feeling that we have had with the Bucks over the last couple of weeks. They have a tendency to get a lead and to let it slip. It's happened against the Kings and the Celtics, both games that they were just able to hold on to. The Celtics game was the one where Daniel Tice just missed what would have been a game-winning three, and then he was traded the, ne- traded the next day. wonder if he would have made that shot if he'd still be on the Celtics. They were able to hold off against the Kings, hold off against the Celtics. They blew it against the Warriors, got ran out of the gym by the Hawks after being up double digits. Some of these games, they get a lead, and they just hope the clock expires in time. Very 2019 Packers-esque. Very Matt LaFleur first year as the Green Bay Packers head coach. Get a lead and hold on. Mike Pettin's a magnum opus as the Packers defensive coordinator was 2019, just holding on and saving some of those leads from an offense that all the time got in a rut. Bucks were up at halftime by 17. They were up 62-45. And then they were up seven points at the end of the third quarter. And then they were up only four minutes or four points with two minutes to play. That's when Brooke Lopez came back in because they needed to get a couple of buckets. And to be fair... Like, that 17-point halftime lead, it's it's a dangerous place to be in. I joked a couple of weeks ago that a 20-point lead in basketball is the most dangerous lead in basketball, and I think maybe I miscommunicated what I meant. Obviously, being up 20 is a great problem to have, but it is a dangerous lead in that there are only so many outcomes that 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 come up for a team after being up 20 points, and most of them are negative. I went and looked at last night's scores. So there were six games played in the NBA last night. And the margins of these games were 4, 10, in the case of the Bucks, 21, 13, 7, and 30. That 30-point game with the Warriors and Mavericks, that's kind of an outlier. If you average the margin of victory or defeat for all six of these games, it shakes out to 14 points. Now, if you take away that 30-point outlier from the Warriors, because that game is, is so out of the norm, and you just average the other five, the average margin of victory last night for the five normal games, was 11 points. 11 points, okay? So if you're up 17, if you're up 20, 22 points at halftime or at any point in the game, there are only so many outcomes that follow. You can either extend your lead and win by 30 or 40, or the game can come back to earth and it gets tight again. You don't see a lot of 30 or 40 point games, 
So the most likely outcome after getting up 20 is for the game to constrict once again, which can concern fans, but it's not that surprising, right? Because you just don't see 30-point blowouts. So if the Bucs are up 23 points, chances are the other team is going to make a run. They made a run last night. The Bucs were able to hold off, right? And I, I don't know why blowouts have happened at a, at a larger clip this year. 30 points for the Warriors last night. That That's a whole nother outlier. I think the, the limited number of fans makes a difference. There's less energy. So if you get down by a large margin, there's really less juice in the building to try to get you back into that game. And the season is dragging. I think the players are ready to be done. They're, they're ready to, to be in the offseason or to start the playoffs already because this season is dragging. And I think Bucks fans are fatigued as well. The players are fatigued. And I think fans are fatigued too because they seem stuck in the three seed, which isn't the worst place to be. But I, I think they had a realistic shot to get up to the two or the one, and they've let some of these games go that they really needed to have. And they're healthy, unlike the Sixers and the Nets, an advantage that they seem content to squander. We have Bucks fatigue. They're stuck in the three seed. And to quote Bart, the wins even feel like losses. We're fatigued. The Bucks beat the Sixers twice last week. And yeah, it was nice, but I didn't talk about it at length on this show. For God's sake, we're breaking down an inning of Brewers baseball for 20 minutes. The, Bru- the Bucks beat two, the Sixers twice. I can't even speak. The Bucks beat the Sixers twice, and we like barely bat an eye. We are fatigued. I think the best indicator of our fatigue as Bucks fans is Bobby Portis. I was thinking about this the other day. Something I was pondering. Bobby Portis this year has been a walking bucket. He's 15 points last night off the bench. Or that was Bryn Forbes, excuse me, not Bobby Portis. Bobby Portis was actually a little bit quieter last night. But by and large, this season, he's been great. He's been a revelation for three and a half million bucks, just a little bit over three and a half million bucks. And he'll opt out of his player option, I'd imagine, get paid more either with Milwaukee or somewhere else next year, probably not with Milwaukee. He's been a beast. And if this version of Bobby Portis played on the 2019 or the 2020 regular season bucks, we'd be losing our mind. I'd be doing 20 minutes today on Bobby Portis, why he should be the sixth man of the year. And I'd be saying things like, hey, this team's on pace to win 60 games. Giannis is the MVP. Middleton's perfect number two. Bobby Portis, sixth man. Like, I would have time. I'd have energy, and we would pound the table for individual awards and, and, and rush to defend our team from the haters and other fan bases. We're not doing that this year because we're tired. This team has let us down twice in the last two years, and we're, we have, I think, a little bit more hesitancy to buy in. We had that honeymoon phase where we were bought in. We were all in, 110%, and we'd fight any other fan base or media member that would dare disrespect us. And in 2021, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, it's fair to criticize the Bucks. Yeah, Giannis is your MVP, but he still has progress to make. Yeah, Bud might be kind of a dope. I don't know. Yeah, Middleton's inconsistent. Oh, Bobby Portis off the bench is great, but I'm not going to start campaigning for sixth man of the year. Something I thought of. I think Bobby Portis is a good litmus test for how much energy we have as Bucks fans right now. And the answer, for me at least, not very much. Which is why we're not going to talk about the Bucks anymore. We're going to move on. Let's talk about the NFL. Teddy Bridgewater is now a Denver Bronco. I like it. A lot of people didn't, which I found kind of weird. Let's talk about that and how it impacts, of course, our teams and the rest of the draft. That's coming up next here on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. We're going to talk a little bit about the Teddy Bridgewater trade, but first, I just have to... I have to pass this long. This is just too good. Tom Hodricourt, who we've mentioned a couple of times already. Shout out, Tom. Good work, Tom. Has a quote from Marty Foster, who 
I wish I could quote Jim Joyce when he blew the Armando Galarraga no-hitter. I don't know how many years ago that was, where he said he kicked the bleep out of the call. I kicked the bleep out of it. I wish I could use that quote because that's what Marty Foster did with this call. Here's his explanation, though. He calls base runner interference on the pitcher on literally a routine ground out in which the Brewers pitcher, whose name I forgot again. Hold on. Let me get it in front of me. Oh, Zach Godley, of course. Brewers legend, Zach Godley. Never even stepped off the grass. Never came close to the base path. Leaves him on base. Says, nope, interference. You're good to go. Ends up costing the Brewers a run. Here's his explanation. Ready? Foster said it didn't matter that Diaz was running inside the baseline. Quote, wherever they're at at the time is their base path. The foot lane has nothing to do with this play. The three-foot lane does not apply here. It's where the runner is. That's his base path. <sighs> um, so, so we, so the, run in any, any direction. Take a, take a lap around the pitcher's mound on your way to first base. Pick up an interference. Why not? Take, hell, run all the way down to the foul pole in the right field corner. Just stretch your legs out. Doesn't matter. Base path. Base path. Base schmath. Good stuff. Stuff, Marty Foster. You idiot. What an idiot. God, I wish I could. Ah, God, I wish I could place a well-timed swear here because that's how strongly I feel. Ventured the comedy area. Good stuff. Marty Foster. Yeah, what a joke. It's the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. Taking a tough Brewers loss in stride today, as I always try to do. Packers losses. I'm going to lose my mind. Bucks loss. I just, I'm mad whether they win or lose. But Brewers losses, I... Nothing can take me down. Nothing can bring me down, to quote Jeff Lynn. Don't bring me down. I do appreciate the comedy of Marty Foster, though. That's good stuff. Running down the first baseline like a drunk driver trying to pass a field sobriety test. I, let's, um, let, let's talk about, before this devolves any further, let's talk about the trade today of Teddy Bridgewater. I've been looking forward to talking about this for a few minutes. Early this afternoon, Tom Pelissero, NFL Network, reporting Panthers dealing Teddy Bridgewater to Denver. So... Dealing him to Denver for a sixth-round pick. Teddy Bridgewater made $31 million last year. Carolina's going to pay a bunch of his money this year. Th- this was not ideal for Carolina. They basically switched quarterbacks, paid a bunch of money to do so, and gave up a little draft capital. Now they recoup some of that. But a sixth-round trade is hardly a, a fat stack of compensation. When I saw this news, my reaction, before I looked at what anyone else had to say, I thought, cool, cool, good for Denver. Good for Denver. And you know what? Good for Teddy Bridgewater, too. Denver gets a little insurance. They have an option that's better than Drew Locke. And they can still draft a quarterback. But you know what? If they don't draft a quarterback because it doesn't work out, they have Teddy Bridgewater. That's not the end of the world. It's not ideal, but it's not the end of the world. It's not Drew Locke. Right? Denver has a good roster. Good wide receivers. Jerry Judy is a stud. Right? I really like Cortland Sutton. Not as much as you know, Chris Sims love him to rank him above Devontae Adams, but that's neither here nor there. Noah Fant. Garrett Bowles and their offensive line became very competent last year. Melvin Gordon is good. Vic Fangio is good. And they have good draft positioning, so they can probably add another linebacker, corner, some type of contributor in this draft between the first, second, third round, and beyond. Denver could not get caught with their pants down going into the season with Drew Locke as their only option. Doesn't mean they need Trevor Lawrence. Doesn't mean they need to to sign prime Peyton Manning. They just need another option because they can't go into the season with only Drew Locke. And that's what I heard all offseason long. All offseason long, I saw smart football people say, anybody but Drew Locke. You need anybody but Drew Locke. And this trade, in my mind, qualifies 
Teddy qualifies as somebody who's better than Drew Locke. Good roster, right? Good coach, good protection, good wide receivers should be a system in which Teddy can succeed. But this trade wasn't received all that well. I saw Mike Renner, friend of the show, Mike Renner, Pro Football Focus, their lead draft analyst, Green Bay Packer fan and former contestant on The Bachelor. He is handsome. I got to say, got it going on. Love you, Mike, Mike Renner. Tweeted today, it's a lateral move. Is it though? Do we really think that Teddy Bridgewater is as bad as Drew Locke? Drew Locke is not good. Drew Locke thinks he's good. He plays like he's good, but he is not. He throws down the field at a higher percentage than just about every other quarterback, despite being really, really bad at it. His average depth of target is like massive for no reason. Teddy Bridgewater is the opposite. Teddy Bridgewater's average depth of target is really, really slim. I think if I remember correctly, I read today that only like two or three of his touchdown passes from last year traveled more than 10 yards in the air. Teddy Bridgewater does not push the ball down the field. Drew Locke arguably pushes the ball down the field too much. Neither option is perfect. Neither option is Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers. But what I think Denver did a good job of is giving themselves an insurance policy in the event that they can't draft a quarterback. Let's say the draft goes Lawrence... Wilson, as we think. And let's say the Niners take Trey Lance. And then let's say somebody else takes Justin Fields before Denver has an opportunity to pick. Let's say Atlanta takes Justin Fields at four and the draft goes Lawrence, Wilson, Lance, and Fields. Well, now really the only other great option remaining is Mac Jones. Does Denver want Mac Jones? I don't think so. So maybe they don't trade up to get Mac Jones. Maybe Denver doesn't have an opportunity to draft a quarterback. But this way, they at least have Teddy Bridgewater. And you know what? If they have an opportunity to get Trey Lance or Justin Fields, great! Because you have a great backup now in Teddy Bridgewater. And it's not really costing you a whole lot. Carolina's paying a lot of that salary. I don't don't think this is bad for Denver at all. I think it's a slick move that ensures that they're at least competent. They're at least a little bit better this year. And I know that doesn't sound like a ringing endorsement, but that's how bad Drew Locke has been. Denver's a fun roster. And, and Denver and Vic Fangio knows this because he's trying to prove that he can be a head coach. They need a stabilizer. They have the roster. They have all these great positions. They just need a decent enough quarterback to, to have fans say, you know what, we're a legit team, and, and we maybe could upset the Chiefs. The Broncos haven't beat the Chiefs since Peyton Manning was in town. They're probably not, not going to win the division with Teddy Bridgewater, but they're going to be viable, and they're going to show fans and show everybody else, look, Denver's building something. You could just never tell that they were building something because Drew Locke was the man in charge. Drew Locke's not getting you anywhere. I'm so excited for hour number two of the show. Going to get into more Packers draft talk, talk a little bit more about this trade, and we're going to be joined by our buddy Zach Heilprin of the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network. I always love talking to Zach. Little Brewers talk as well. All of that and more coming up after 5 o'clock here on the Wisco Sports Show. Sports Show. Appreciate you hanging out. Our good, good friend, Zach Heilprin, will join me, Grant Bills, coming up here in 13 minutes, give or take a minute or two. About 535. Set your alarms, mark your calendar, tell Siri to remind you. Zach is always can't miss radio, must listen radio. Great, great friend and no doubt will try to roast me in some way or another. He probably got a scouting report from Ebo on what to bring up. I just, you know, I just, I just want to ask Zach some questions and 
get some answers and learn a thing or two, and he'll probably come at me, and that's fine. I'm not feeling in a combative mood, unless we're talking about today's Brewer game and that first base umpire, because sucked. want to talk for the NFL draft just for a couple of minutes, because as the show open today would indicate, and if you missed it, I will replay it for you. My favorite things are draft details here. Just chat and draft, you know, prospects and positional value and trade charts and physical thresholds, just things that get me amped. My favorite things in the whole wide world. This is where we should have mentioned mock drafts too. My mock draft coming tomorrow. I'll do my mock. I'll get my mock draft tomorrow. I'm, st- I'm still working on it, everybody. So we'll get to it tomorrow. Pencil it in for 4:30. We'll do the mock draft. Make time for that. I do want to talk not necessarily about prospects or who the Packers might take. That's what we can talk about with Zach coming up next. I want to talk about Justin Fields because there's this sense now that not only will the 49ers not take Justin Fields, but he might slide past five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. I was watching a podcast, one of my favorite podcasts, the PFF Forecast, with George Shahuri, Eric Eager, and they were joined by Evan Silva of Established the Run. Really smart. And they were talking about some prop bets for the draft. I think Justin Fields, at the time when it was recorded, so it was Sunday, it might have moved now, I haven't checked. Justin Fields over under draft position, four and a half. I got to think he goes over that because it seems as though the 49ers are primed to take Mac Jones, maybe Trey Lance, and it sounds now like the Falcons are going to just hang out at four and take Kyle Pitts, which means Justin Fields gets to at least five. And at that point, how much farther could he slide? Chris Sims put out his mock draft, although Chris Sims is a thumb thinks that Justin Fields is going to fall all the way to 32 when the Buccaneers will pity select him to be Tom Brady's backup, I guess. That is stupid. That is dumb. To to think that Justin Fields gets to 20 or 24 is dumb, is stupid. I, I don't doubt that he'll slide because I think once one team, one team passes on a quarterback, then the next, then the next, and, and that's the kind of thing can snowball. But the idea that Justin Fields is going to fall that far The idea that any player is going to fall that far is just, it's cap, it's fiction, it's a fabrication. It's just not true. Let's look at the the 2005 NFL draft, which is, what, 16 years ago, 17 years ago now, right? Alex Smith is the first overall player. He is a quarterback to be drafted. The next quarterback to be taken in this draft was Aaron Rodgers. He went all the way to pick 24. In the context of 2005, in the context of 2005, falling in the draft, sliding in the draft, equates to falling into the 20s. Aaron Rodgers sliding all the way to 24. My goodness. It's not like quarterbacks don't slide these days, but when quarterbacks slide in 2005, they they go to 24. Look at some of these players that went above him. David Pollock, linebacker to the Bengals. Alex Barron, a tackle to the Rams. Fabian Washington, a corner... To Oakland, that was pick number 23, right? Adam Jones, Pac-Man Jones, good player, but still not Aaron Rodgers. Cadillac Williams, two running backs, three running backs, one in the top five. My God, my God. Three running backs went in the top five, yet Aaron Rodgers slides all the way to 24. Quarterbacks don't slide that far anymore. Justin Fields could be the worst quarterback. There could be all these dirty rumors going on around him, true or not true, right? He's not sliding past 10. Certainly not past 10 or 12. Never going to sniff Aaron Rodgers' territory. Quarterbacks just don't slide that far this year. The the league has changed. 
Let's look at the 2018 NFL draft, for example. Quarterbacks went pick number one, pick number three, pick number seven. Again, at 10 with Josh Rosen. Josh Rosen at one point in 2018 was thought to be perhaps the best quarterback. Oh, he's the the most NFL ready. He's the most polished. He's the most accurate. Maybe he doesn't have the ceiling of Josh Allen or I don't know if anybody argued ceiling for Baker Mayfield, but let's say Lamar Jackson or others or Sam Darnold. Great example with ceiling, right? Josh Rosen slid in 2018. He slid to 10. That's it. Aaron Rodgers slid to 24. Josh Rosen slid to 10. The equivalent of sliding in today's NFL, you're not sliding into the 20s or into the second round. You're going to fall five spots. That's it. Because in the draft order of this year, Chicago needs a quarterback. Denver needs a quarterback. Miami might take a quarterback if one were to fall to them. Miami at six. Are the Packers at 24? It's the same thing, right? He fell all the way to them at 24. If Justin Fields falls to the Dolphins at six, it'll be the same dynamic. Well, we didn't plan on taking a quarterback, but he fell all the way to us. Meaning he fell like, three extra spots, three and a half extra spots. Quarterbacks don't slide. Justin Fields might fall, but he's not falling to 24 or 30 or 32, but go off, I guess, Chris Sims. It's amazing to think how much the draft has changed. I referenced the 2005 draft. The idea that a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, the second best quarterback falling all that way, mm -mm, it would never happen today. We also wouldn't have three running backs taken in the top five. I mean, the draft changes so much as the years go by, even since 2018, right? With Saquon Barkley going second overall. That would never happen, ever. And that's, what, we're three years removed from that? I look back at that now and I think, what a stupid, terrible, garbage, awful pick. What a terrible pick Saquon Barkley at two. And I think smart football people probably said the same thing at the time. Right? Imagine if somebody took a running back at two overall in this year's draft be the stupidest thing we've ever seen we're three years removed from that happening now Saquon Barkley is a generational prospect okay he's still a running back right like think of um let's see I make a mean quesadilla right I'm not a very good cook but I make a mean quesadilla pretty darn good I'm not opening a restaurant nobody's paying me a million dollars because I I could make the world's best quesadilla it's still a quesadilla they stink you got to dip them in sour cream and salsa and ranch dressing to just get them down they stink I don't care that Saquon Barkley is a generational running back prospect. He's a running back. You don't take them at two. And yet three years ago, the Giants did. And a lot of people were like, you know what? He's that good. You got to take him. No, you absolutely do not. No, 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 no. So to think everything that's changed from 2018 to now in the context of running backs and taking them high, think of how much things have changed since 2005 to now. The idea that Aaron Rodgers could fall into the 20s, that would never happen today. Justin Fields could have the worst draft situation possible. The lowest he falls is 10. You think Chicago's passing on him? Absolutely not. They'd be stupid to. Even if they don't love him, you take a flyer. Even if Denver doesn't love him, which they should because they need a quarterback, they got to they gotta take a flyer. Quarterbacks don't fall as far as they used to. It's just a different world. The draft operates differently. Operates very, very differently. Let's take a break. Your texts are welcome, 608-796-2558, as are your tweets, at Wisco Grant, our good friend, frequent contributor, knowledge, soothsayer, the wise, Zach Heilprin of the Wisconsin Sports Network will join us next. Talk a little Packers, a little draft coming up next here on the Wisco Sports Show. 
This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show. Appreciate you hanging out. My name is Grant Bills. I hope today's Brewers loss didn't completely ruin your afternoon. It has not ruined mine. It was entertaining to see Pat Murphy thrown out. Somebody needed to get thrown out. It was it was ridiculous today. I want to talk uh, about the draft and about the Packers, although I guess Zach, our guest from the Wisconsin Sports Network in the zone. Zach, it's good to hear from you. It's good to have you on. Uh, were you watching the Brewers game this afternoon? I saw you sent me some sound bites of counsel regarding that weird play that took place in the Brewers game. Did that get you going? It got me upset. You don't really get upset about that kind of stuff, but it was it was ridiculous, and it was even more dangerous because then after the game, Marty Floss doubled down on it. Yeah. 100%, 100% right that uh, that the guy, that uh, godly impeded Diaz on his way to first, which, I mean, I, I don't, I would completely disagree, <laughs> but um, no, it doesn't. It doesn't get me extremely fired up. I know Ebo was in the office. Uh, he was. He was very displeased with it. But yeah, it's, I mean, it was not the reason they lost the game. But I mean, maybe it's a one-run game, and maybe you're a little bit more upset about it. But it's, it's yeah, it gives you something you need. It gives you a little. It gives you a little something in baseball, which you need sometimes. Yeah, the quote from Foster after the game: "It's where the runner is. That's his base path." Which I. So he could just run at the pitcher then? Yeah. He could just run at the pitcher? That's and, what I said. And, and Take a lap wants. around the foul pole and bump into the outfielder while you're at it. Like, yeah, that was that was, that was was bizarre. But I'm glad to hear that you kept it, you know, together like a professional, unlike me. How have you been? What's new? I haven't talked to you in a while. Yeah, it's been a while, Grant. I know what's what's going on. It kind of hurts the feelings that I haven't been asked <sighs> on. Well, oh, okay. well, well, now okay. you, you turn it's this okay. around on me. Right. I, no, I, hey, it's, hey, it's okay. <laughs> it happens. I uh, I hope everything's going okay with you. I understand that you got a big vacation coming up uh, on Friday. One day, one, one day. You know <laughs> why? The, and why? And why are you taking a vacation? Okay, well, there's a couple factors at play. I need to take vacation. This is first of all, this is my first full year as a working professional with a full time job, and the higher ups get a little frustrated if you don't use your vacation. So I was actually instructed, Grant, you're working too hard. You're doing too good of a job. You need to take some time off. And I'm like, well. I'll do a Friday, and I'm moving this week. So it just it came together. The draft is Thursday. Yeah, sure. But, Zach, there's a good chance they could trade out, and then I – nothing to yeah. talk about on Friday. That could happen. Except, I mean, except then you have a whole buildup of second round. Who are they going to take? Mm-hmm. Give that whole, I mean, it, it'd be huge. It'd be huge, Grant. And you're saying – so, I mean, you, you, people up there want you to take vacations, huh? Um. Yeah, well, isn't that how it works? What do you, what do you, th- what do you think? What do you, what do you think? The last time Ebo took a vacation day was? Oh, never. Ebo's the hardest working man in radio, but I, I'm not Ebo. I, I strive to be him. I dream to When's be him. When's the last him. time I'm you think him. I took a vacation day? Never. I don't think you. I don't think you sleep, let alone take we a vacation. We have not. We have not. We have not. Neither of us over the last year and change have have used a vacation day. Where it's it's that time of it's it's you know we don't have a lot of people to work. You know, yeah. we got, we've got to do work. I know. And now you're just passing off at, on this, at a day after potentially a historic making day and that they take a wide receiver in the first round That's and you're true. not going to be there to talk about it? What, <laughs> what will the people do in Eau Claire and Lacrosse and Madison without the voice of Grant Bills? Probably enjoy their night. Probably relax and enjoy the rest of the draft. The one silver lining is is I can take time to reflect on the entire draft before ever coming on and talking <laughs> to a microphone. That's See, no hot takes, point. no short-sighted arguments. Yep. It's going to be 
full of perspective. I, I know you work all the time, yeah. Zach, uh, because you send me cuts from all these press conferences. Question. I watched Gudikin's press conference yesterday, and this is going to sound sarcastic. I do not mean it that way. Do you ever, because I know you cover all these teams, do you ever ask questions? Because I never hear you asking questions. Or are you just there to observe and, and take it all in? It's a little bit different, difficult with uh, certain uh, with certain places. The Brewers only allow people that actually are there to be in their press conferences. Okay. Uh, the the Bucks would allow it. Um, the Packers, you have to raise your hand and hope that you get it. So um, the, the one place that can ask, ask questions, and I do, is with Wisconsin, because uh, that's someplace I'm there a lot more uh, than the other places. But um, Zoom is not good for any of this. Uh, Zoom is, is good for the ability just to grab audio, but it's, it's not good to get questions answered and, and get to the bottom of things. I'll say that. That's, I mean, it, it's good just, you know, time-wise. It can help you out a little bit there, but otherwise mm-hmm. it's – been worthless in that respect well jason wilde can ask multiple questions minutes on end and your boy zach heilprin can't get a quick now i'm kind of upset now i'm kind of angry i didn't know that was the system now i'm kind of angry about it i don't know i may yeah we, we i will not be taking shots at jason wilde <laughs> big big fan of jason wilde yeah his his work is good i'm just he's always asking questions i'm like can my guy zach get a word in now if i just knew that it was first come first serve now i'm now i'm a little upset i'd be the same way because i'm Despite what you may think about me, I'm very, I would not do well as a reporter because I'm very bad at forcing the issue. Like, I could not stand up for myself and, and no, I want to ask a question or I want to talk to this player. I, that's not in my personality, so I respect anyone who can do it. Um, you're, no, you're a, keep, you're a keyboard warrior. Yeah, precisely. Or, or a mic warrior, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I, guess is, I need I to hide behind it. something. Someone, yes. Yeah, that's, that, that's apparent. I, yeah. I think that's been made clear over the, over, over, uh, our uh, on-phone relationship. Oh, that's funny. Zach Heilper in the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network. So you were in the Gudikins presser, whether or not you're asking questions or not. Give me your read of the room. Uh, the buzzword was foreseeable future, which doesn't mean a whole lot. Nothing that general managers say typically mean a whole lot. But w- what do you think of Rogers' love? What did you read from Goody? And, and what would you guess the sense is with the Packers right now about their planet quarterback? I think they want to. I think that they want to. Clearly, they want to rework the contract. I think that there's probably a little bit of hesitancy on Rogers' part to do it, or they aren't doing it the way that he wants to. He feels. I'm guessing he probably feels that he has a little bit of a, of uh, you know, a little bit of, because of how well he played. He's got some leverage, and the Packers are wanting it to be one way, and and I think he's probably wanting it to be another way, and that's why nothing has gotten done to this point. Uh, uh, as Jason Willie reported in January, they approached him back then of restructuring the contract. The fact that it hasn't got done, gotten done at this point uh, certainly suggests that there are differences of opinion on what exactly should happen with the contract. Um, I saw that you went to the, the, the dictionary to try and break down foreseeable future and, and took issue with people writing about it, but that that is that is what journalism is. I mean, you ask the question, the mm-hmm. guy asks, answers it, and you, and you have to write about it. And so that's what Brian Gutekind said, I don't know what else he was going to say, but I think, you know, the, the telling part, I think, may have been the, you know, we have, uh, we have, we're excited about some of the things we can accomplish in the next couple of years. I think that is probably more telling. They know they've got a couple of years left with them, and, and maybe not more than that. Um, but do I think a contract is going to get done, like some kind of a, a restructure? Yes, I think it has to, uh, salary cap-wise, for them to, do what they want to do, not just this year, but next year. Because they are going to be, in, as he said, in the exact same situation they are they were this year and having to 
rework contracts, rework contracts and push money off. Yeah, well, and I said on yesterday's show, they're going to have to do something because the Packers aren't going to operate like this for the next three or four. They're not going to keep kicking the can down the road. At some point, knowing what the Packers like to do, they, they, they want to get back to normal, which will take some sort of big event, either trading someone you don't want to trade, cutting someone, or reworking Rodgers' deal. Even if it's the way they don't want to do it, they're going to have to do something in the next year because they're not going to, they're not the Saints, right? They're not going to continue to bury their cap year after year after year. I think this one offseason is an outlier. And Gutekind Steven said that. We're doing things a little bit differently because we know how close we are. Normally, Zach, I ask you about Badgers things, which isn't fair to you because you you are wise in all of our teams and, and the subjects. But Big Ten topic, not necessarily Badgers, but Big Ten. I don't normally do this, but I have fallen in love with a draft prospect. I don't want to say draft crush because mm. that, that sounds very juvenile. Uh, this is not a juvenile show, but I, I have fallen in love with a player. I love <laughs> Rondell Moore. I want him on the Packers. Yeah. I think it would be such a good fit. Maybe they don't need him. Maybe it's not their biggest need, but that's never stopped the Packers from drafting someone before. You've watched more, and you've watched him against the Badgers in the Big Ten. What do you What do you think about Rondell Moore at Purdue, what you saw, and then, of course, what he could project to be in an offense like Matt LaFleur's? Of all the guys that are potentially could be available, if they don't take one in the first round, like Rondell Moore's not a first-round pick. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not just because of his size. I don't think that's a problem. I, the injury history certainly plays a role. He was only able to play so he was played so few games outside of his freshman year, but his freshman year was electric. And I've said this a number of times in the various places that have that have done that have done interviews and been asked about him. Is I think he is the um, most electric and explosive player that Wisconsin played against in the last three years. And his game against Wisconsin in 2018, when him and Jonathan Taylor were going back and forth, like just trading just insane plays, was as good of a player as I've seen. Like any time he got the ball, it felt like it could go and he would be perfect for Matt LaFleur's offense. And I think, you know, obviously if they don't go first round, and I I still think there's a possibility. I know last year probably would everyone's thinking it was going to be that way, but you look at the potential undra- uh, unrestricted free agents and restricted free agents for the Packers after this year. Obviously Devontae Adams isn't going anywhere, but, you know, Mark Winsbell, the Scantling's an unrestricted free agent. You have uh, Equinemius St. Brown's unrestricted free agent. Lazard's a restricted free agent. Like they have, they don't really have much there. Uh, and I guess you could throw in Devin Funches in there too. He's an unrestricted free agent, mm-hmm. assuming he makes the team this year. That you know, usually, like we saw with the running back this past year, they've got they had two guys going to be unrestricted free agents, and they spent the second round pick on, you know, AJ Dillon. I think we might see the same thing. But if they don't go in the first round, you would think Rondale Moore would be a possibility in the second because he'd be a, a perfect fit for, for Matt LaFleur's offense. Special teams too, Zach. We can talk about the special teams getting better all the time, but at some point you need to invest in them other than just rotating through coordinators. I oh, I think he would fit so well. It would be so much fun. He could be Debo Samuel to the Niners. Rondale Moore could be to the Packers. I, If they don't get him, which they probably won't, it never turns out the way that we want. Um, there's obviously nope. hundreds of players, but that, that would be really cool. Speaking of Wisconsin and the Big yeah. Ten, one last question for you. Cool moment for me the other night, Zach. I was reading a draft guide because I, I, I do that now. I got, a, I got a draft guide. I was looking at fullbacks, and our guy Mason Stocky was in there. My fellow uh, Menominee Mustang uh, was in there. as <laughs> I, I don't remember if it was the third or the fourth-ranked fullback. Do you think that Mason yeah. Stocky could be a quality NFL fullback? And I want to know if there are any other Badgers – um, that we should pay attention to either as like potential draft picks or undrafted free agents, or as the smart draft people say, uh, UDFAs, undrafted free agents. What, what do you think about some potential Wisconsin players upcoming this weekend? Yeah, I mean, I, obviously I think that look, the, the last three guys that had played fullback at Wisconsin 
have gone on to be in the NFL, whether I should say starting fullbacks, whether it was Derek Watt, Austin Ramish, or, uh, you know, with Alec Ingold. Now, obviously, Ramish had injuries, decided to, to, to cut it short, but Wisconsin fullbacks have a reputation, and, and Mason was as versatile as, as any of them. We saw that with his catching, you know, his uh, receiving ability last year. So, yeah, I think he certainly has a chance to be um, a fullback. Now, who needs fullbacks anymore? I don't know uh, how, how many of those opportunities are going to be there, but I think he'll stick if he does get an opportunity. And in terms of the other guys, I've been going through like these, these seven-round mock drafts because that's how far you have to go to find a Wisconsin player. Yeah. And there are some that don't have any in it. You know, it's like I don't think that will end up being the case. Like I think someone's going to get drafted, but I guess at this point it would be a shock. But Cole Van Lannon, the left tackle, who's probably going to have to be a guard or maybe a right tackle in the NFL. And then Rashad Wild Goose, the corner who left early, um, you know, we'll see where, where he lands. I'm guessing late he probably would have been better off coming back, but um, that's water under the bridge now. And then, you know, who else could it be? Eric Burrell is a guy that could could potentially be a late draft pick or an undrafted free agent. Garrett Groshek is a guy that may get into a, to an NFL camp. I I don't know if you saw this, but you used to be able to invite a whole bunch of tryout guys in for your rookie mini camp. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because of COVID, you're only allowed to bring in five this year. So that could potentially hurt some guys that, would potentially be, uh, you know, workout guys. Isaiah Loudermilk's another guy that, that maybe will get a shot somewhere. John Dietzen, maybe. I really don't know. It's, it's, it's just a weird year. They didn't have the combine. You know, there weren't – there were, I think, 30 to 32 teams were at the, at the pro day. But it's a weird year, man, and I, I don't know. <laughs> they could see three guys go or they could see zero guys go. That's yeah. – uh, it's kind of all over the board right now with them. I'm an Eric Burrell fan. My favorite Eric Burrell memory. I've only been to two Badger games live in my lifetime. And the last one was the Iowa game the second time that Nate Stanley was there. And towards the end of the game, Nate Stanley was trying to run into the end zone, speaking of former Mustangs. And Eric Burrell, I think it was Eric Burrell, I just rocked him at the goal line. I was like, ah, okay. And from that moment, I was always kind of a Burrell fan. I thought that they had something there. I, I like him as a player. I, yeah, I believe that was the two-point conversion. Mm-hmm. Uh, after Iowa had scored, and it was Burrell and Chris Orr. And I, I remember Chris Orr because I was, I was actually right on the goal line for that play. Oh. Chris, Orr, Chris Orr blew it up, and it looked like he was out for a few seconds. like Because it, it was as hard a hit as I had seen you know, on the field, field level. It looked like he was out for a few seconds. And I asked him about it last year when you know, going to the draft prep, and he said, no, 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 no. I was just, I was just feeling good about it. I did, just wanted to <laughs> savor it a little bit for a second. I'm like, all right, all right, whatever you say. But, yeah, Eric, uh, I think Eric's got – he's certainly got the athletic ability to do it. Maybe not as big of a playmaker as, uh, you know, you're probably were hoping. But, you know, all you got to do is – all someone has to do is give you a shot. Yeah. No, I feel you. And I just, I really just wanted an excuse to brag about being at a Wisconsin game one time and one memory that I have. Because mm-hmm. I, I don't go to a lot of Badger games. I'm hoping to hopefully get to one this fall. Zach, enjoy the draft. I will be gone the rest of this week. So I will be thinking about you as I take my vacation on Friday. You will be. You're taking Thursday off too? No, 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 no. no. I'll, I'll be back tomorrow. No, no, no. I'm not taking Thursday off. Oh, okay. just, just Friday. God right. forbid a man gets a little time in the peace and quiet didn't to you relax. Did you take a vacation last month? A month ago, that was the first vacation I've taken all year. My my vacation resets in May. I got to use some of these days, just a couple here and there. No, actually, you don't. You don't oh, have to. Okay. Well, just know that as I relax, and I'm not even relaxing, I'm moving all my belongings to a new home 
Uh, I will be thinking about you. And every time I watch a Packers press conference now, I will hope for the entire time that I hear your voice asking a question. Just just know that. Awesome. <laughs> thank, thank you, Zach. Have a good one. Yep. <laughs> Zach Heilprin, the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network. Couple of texts. Um, one from a Vikings fan, one from Coach Wench. We'll get to those and wrap up the Wisco Sports Show after this.